Episode 5, Joe Denical. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Creative Credit, a show dedicated to conversations with talent from across the comic book industry. Artists, writers, inkers, colorists, letterers, and more. I'm your host, Chad Bokelman. In this, our fifth episode, we'll discover just what that and more truly means as we speak with actor Joe Dinical. Joe is probably best recognized by listeners of this show as the man who played the character of Rory Regan, a.k.a. Ragman, primarily on season 5 of the hit CW series, Arrow. Joe was kind enough to speak with me earlier this year, and this episode in its full edited form has been a long time coming. Joe and I actually spoke back in March of 2021. So why the delay? This content is actually being released cross-platform. So what does that mean? Well, Joe and I conducted our conversation over Zoom with the webcams on. So I decided that I'd post the interview over on the YouTube channel for the LanternCast. So welcome, YouTube audience, to the show. Additionally, as some of you may be aware, I run a blog curating the appearances and history of the character of Ragman called The Suit of Souls Blog. I've elected to also transcribe the entirety of this interview into a readable blog post as well. So, you can listen to this conversation on the podcast, watch it on YouTube, or read it over on The Suit of Souls Blog. But cheers to those of you listening in the podcast feed. You're getting it first. It's actually serendipitous this episode releases when it does, as it aligns with the latest episode of the Dr. DC podcast, issue 257, all about Ragman. I joined the Doctor and producer Richard to discuss the character's specifics in great lengths and utilize my quote-unquote expertise on the character to answer listener questions about his publication in the DC universe. We had a fantastic time, and I hope you guys tune in to their episode as well. And continue listening to their podcast, as it is a great and entertaining resource to subscribe to. But enough about that. This conversation with Joe has been languishing in unpublished digital darkness for far too long, so without further ado, I present to you my conversation with actor Joe Dinical. All right, guys. On the line, we have Joe Denical. He is the actor who played primarily. We brought him on because he played Ragman on Arrow. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I really appreciate you doing this. I know I reached out to you in a little bit of an odd way. <laughs> no, that's you know, I. It's funny. I was telling my girlfriend. I like. I you know, I'm not. I'm not a big social media person. Um, but uh, if uh, 
if someone reaches out about like, you know, talking about the bit, you know, the, what, what I do, then I'm, I, I, I try and respond to that as much as I can. Um, you know, if someone's like, Hey, uh, can I have pictures of your feet? I don't, that's, that's a, that's, that's a no fly zone for me, but you know, uh, to talk about stuff is great, man. I'm cause I'm such a big fan. I love, I love podcasts and, and, and stuff about show business. Um, as so well no, so. so no feet pics let me screw let me yeah yeah just that out. you know well you know if, if we become close who knows <laughs> no I'm, I'm cool whatever man whatever you want to do man i'm here to i'm here to support you thank uh, you sp- speaking of supporting uh i just i have to get it out there man i, I i'm a huge ragman fan i know you oh, i know great man i i, I, I if I'm if I can be so bold, I may be the internet's biggest Green Lantern fan, or sorry, Green Lantern and Ragman fan. I do, oh, I do, cool. I do a Green Lantern podcast. This is also oh, cool. yeah. This is why I got the thing. But Very you can cool. see back there. That's actually a Ragman poster, oh, promotional whoa. poster from one of the yeah. series in the nineties. Yes, uh, I have those comics. That's that's cool, man. And I've got the first issue multiple times over and several things like that. So, oh, that's great, man. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. And what's interesting, too, is I also do a, another podcast about a series called Action Comics Weekly. Mm-hmm. And when you guys started season five, Action Comics Weekly is known as one of the few times the character of Wild Dog got published. So people thought oh. I was doing something out in the world because <laughs> Wild Dog suddenly shows up, you suddenly yeah. show up as Ragman, and are like, you're doing it, man. So That's funny, man. Oh, I, wow. Yeah, you got some sway. Thank you. That's really great. <laughs> oh, yeah, that really welcome. helped out your, my career. Your success is all due to me. That's I appreciate you. It's not due to me. So, you <laughs> no. know, that's uh, fine. You know, so I, I have to ask, because a lot of the things I like to do on the show typically um, when I'm talking to creators in general or, or anybody who's in a professional business is sort of dispel some of the notions that fanboys have about the industry. You know, there's, right. a, there's a lot of times when people get cast or there's design choices, costumes, right. scripting choices, where they'll put that on you as the actor or whomever. Right. And what, what's the process like? Because it, you have worked in the industry for a while on lots of different mm-hmm. shows. And Scott Pilgrim in, in a movie as well. It was a light role, I know. But still, uh, what's the difference between that and working on something that's so franchise heavy, so property heavy with DC and them wanting to keep their characters in a certain light and so on and so forth? Well, I mean, I, again, I, I can only speak to the to the uh, experience on Arrow, where, and and mine in particular. I think what what was kind of cool about that show was they like to take some of the lesser known characters from the canon, so that they could kind of do what they wanted with them. You know, they weren't as married because, as you know, you know, Ragman in the comics there's a couple different iterations is my understanding. And then, and, and even those don't quite line up. There's, there's um, so I think uh, there was a bit of leeway in that way where they, they were going to, they were going to do what they kind of wanted or what fit in with their world. And that's why they took some of the lesser known characters and brought them in. So, but in terms of like coming into a machine like that, I mean, I, I like, I like boundaries. I like, when things are defined and, and in those worlds, you know, when a show is that successful, they know what works. Right. And so my job becomes fairly straightforward, I'll say, right. Like I'm coming in to try and, you know, especially on, on that show, I started with a bunch of other people. So Rick Gonzalez and, uh, and Madison McLaughlin who played RMS and, and then later Juliana Harkavy, 
we were all kind of reforming that team arrow. And then that becomes like a fun um, dramaturgical uh, um, uh, problem for all of us to go like, oh, okay, well, you're doing kind of funny in that way. I'm going to do sort of, res- you know, you're trying to, you're trying to piece together a cool group. And, and, and I think as, uh, as actors and, and performers, you start to see what people's strengths are. I think the writers start to see what people's strengths are and you start to be able to kind of fill in the blanks. You don't have to create the whole world. That whole world is already there for you, which is, I really like, right? That's why I like doing theater because the framework of the script is there. You're not gonna change it. You're just gonna go, okay, how do we color it in here and, and make it fuller there and and what makes sense? And you sort of fill in the blank spots. And so it was really cool you know they have a whole machine over there and I don't mean that pejoratively I mean that like they they know how to make those DC superhero shows they really know how to do it and they have amazing costume designers and and the and James Bamford who directs a lot of them but also did a lot of the stunts in the early season of seasons of Arrow like they, they know how to do this stuff and it looks cool and it's ready to go. And it's just cool. I mean, finally, it's just really cool to come onto a show that people watch, you know, like it, it, so much, you know, coming up in Canada, I was in a lot of very cool stuff and people just don't see it, you know, because, you know, for, for any number of reasons, I, I've been in, I've been in shows like, uh, like the LA complex, which is a really cool, close show to my heart but you know people just didn't find it and then and you go oh we put all this work in and people didn't see it and you, we don't do it to stay in a vacuum we do this stuff so that people watch it so when you're on something like an arrow where people really watch it and pay attention it's it's very satisfying man yeah i can only imagine you know as you said you're a podcast listener it's it's mm. it's it's interesting with podcasts is you don't get a lot of feedback from people sometimes you know people just enjoy listening on their commute or whatever the the case may be right and some it's, uh the longest podcast i have going is 12 years so eventually you get to this point where it's like yeah all right we got listeners listeners we have a community and then it's just been 12 years so people are probably yeah. still listening i don't know but you guys yes. have a unique a, a unique method you go to cons you get all this you get mm-hmm. this firsthand experience of what your work is doing to people well that's so. the other thing is that there's this whole infrastructure to you know and those cons are you know they're they're great they're you know people make money and that's you know that's a that's a whole other thing but at the very at the very uh um what am i trying to say at the meat of it, you're, you get to just meet fans. There's this whole infrastructure of getting to, most of it is just chatting with people and you know, not unlike this where people are like, oh, I really love that character in the comics. And then when it came on, I, you know, I, 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 it made my day or you, know, you get to really talk to people about what it meant to them. And that part is like, again, as a real fan of things, like I'm a big, I'm a big, I'll go up to people when I see them and just be like, hey, I, I love that thing. I love that movie you wrote or, you know, whatever it is. I, I think that's very meaningful and I think it's uh, important. And also it's nice for everyone to be like, oh, someone came up and said they saw that thing I did and maybe no one else saw it. So it was nice to know that someone saw it and it meant something to them, you know? Yeah, I lost that uh, over the years going to Comic-Cons and stuff. I, I lost that. Uh, I don't know that lust that's that starstruck luster or something that mm-hmm. some people get the nervousness because and this may be a morbid way of looking at it but especially given the comics industry the people who built this thing they're they're fading away sure uh, so like when you go to a con and you see these creators who 
you know, they don't have a line in front of their table. Even if you don't have money to pay for a sketch or whatever, go up yeah. and thank them while you can yes. for the things that you love because you may Absolutely, not get that chance man. again. So Absolutely. I mean, you know, my dad, my dad, who's an actor, did a uh, did a, a big production of The Sound of Music years ago in Toronto. And it ran for almost two years, I think. And, and, and six or eight months into the run, the director came back just to like watch the show, give notes, that kind of thing tighten the show up and uh he came back and he was like you know giving these notes and he was like and uh he was talking about one song and he's like and just remember like you guys have been doing this show eight months now and it's you know it's the first of two shows on a saturday but like remember like this might be the first time anyone ever hears the hills are alive with the sound of music and then he said it also might be the last time they ever hear it which is like again kind of morbid but like I always think about that, that like, oh, right, you know, this sort of more applies to theater that you start to get in the, the habit of it. And I think it can happen on TV as well, where it becomes like, you know, you're going in, you're doing a job and it's, it becomes your life. But like, if I had told 10 year old me that I was gonna put on a mask and be a superhero, like I'd be doing backflips like and so like it's important to remember that that like it's so like I play dress up for I, I do watch me dive for a living like it's it's uh it's you know it's it's very lucky and it's very cool and and getting to meet fans in that sort of immediate way is is a great reminder of that that's a very grounded approach. And I really appreciate that. Cause you know, I hear there a lot of celebrities are getting into the podcast game, you know, Dak Shepard has armchair expert and yeah, yeah, yeah. things like that. And I remember, I, I, I hear him often talk about, man, if you had told 10 year old Dax that, you know, you're going to be in this film, your first yeah. question wouldn't have been what's, what's the box office? Like, right. what's the reviews? It would just been like, I'm doing what? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really, it, it really is nuts. And for, you know, for how hard this business is, it's, it's, you know, I think B.B. King said, they pay me to travel. I do the shows for free. And I think actors, are, I think the saying in acting is they pay me to wait. The acting's for free. But, you know, there's, there's some truth in that, that like, you know, I was having a conversation recently about, you know, a potential gig and the money and this and that. And I was like, I have to remember, and I don't tell anyone in business affairs this, but like, I do this for free. I yeah. really would. I don't, this is not a, 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 a chore for me. It's like, it's, 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 um, it's immensely pleasing and, and, and I feel very lucky. So. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, you know, that, that sort of leads me into what I was going to ask, you know, a lot of people, especially fans, you know, when they hear, oh, man, I'm going to be playing X character. I, I got these comics to read to really get into the character and stuff like that. I think they want a reaction like, OK, what issue, what panel were you pulling your inspiration? from? Right. Yeah. How forgetting all of that for a moment, we'll come back to that. But forgetting sure. all that, how much of of you is in Rory in this show? What did you inject into that outside of the script you were given? I mean, Again, I think a lot of that stuff uh, is, uh, you know, through osmosis. I mean, you know, one of the cool things about a comic book uh, is, is it's very visual, but that is, but unlike a novel or, or anything else, it lacks, it lacks a certain amount of, uh, of the internal life, the depth of the internal life, which is great because the whole point of uh, 
a lot of art, including comics, is that the reader will do that stuff, right? They will project that onto the character and that, that's why it's such an immersive experience, right? And so what's cool is that I get to do a lot, sort of, I, I'm not taking like, oh, well, in this part, he would be feeling this because X, Y, Z happened to him. Um, you get to see the look of the character. You get to see the sort of, you know, what I got from the comics was that he was, um, and from the scripts was that he was, uh, he was very weighted. Like, you know, he had been through something very traumatic. He had lost everyone close to him. And he, he took things very seriously, you know, it, that, 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 that um, things mattered to him, really, really mattered. And that, and that, uh, and that family really mattered. And that's why his place in the, in the team was very important to him. Um, and then again, like what I was saying before about filling in the blanks, I look at that and go, well, he, he also can't be a bummer, <laughs> you know, like he can't be a bummer because that's not fun. And that's also not realistic. Right. And so what I found was a very like a quiet and dry humor that then they started sort of writing to. And that was something I think that I kind of brought to it. I think, I mean, I can't remember those early scripts super well, but that was something that I go, okay, well, this is what I'm getting from the source material and from, and from the scripts is that, you know, he is this very sort of serious, quiet, which, which again, for me is not what I usually play. As you can tell, I talk way too much, <laughs> but it was a cool challenge to be like, oh, he's the guy that sits back and really takes things in and really listens. And, and, uh, and so that's what I got from that source material. And then I go, okay, uh, how can that also be kind of fun sometimes? And that was when, you know, uh, you know, Emily, uh, Rickards and I, you know, had had a great rapport and started finding stuff in scenes and they sort of started writing to that. And I think that sort of kicked off with how he reacted to her talking about her involvement in, uh, in Genesis day, which was not, I think what everyone thought it was going to be. He wasn't like, he, it was a very different reaction. And I went, Oh, okay. So he's not, he's not a, he's not a, um, he's not a bummer. He's, he takes things very seriously, but he's not, he doesn't think take things too seriously. And so, yeah, I think you use that stuff as an aesthetic. I think you use it, tonally and then at some point you know you're gonna be the guy in the mask you're gonna be the uh, the guy you know making him into a human being and you know there's only so many one-for-one -one translations from a comic book that you can use and especially for this iteration which was not a direct um they didn't pull it directly from the comics. A lot of things were sort of changed or morphed or things that were sort of um, uh, ephemeral in the comics were made a little more concrete or vice versa. So, you know, there was, a, again, there was a lot of room to, to, you know, find stuff that, that I could hook, hook onto as opposed to, like you said, sort of playing a, playing a fanboy's rendition of a, you know, because that's not, but and by the way, they wouldn't like that either. Yeah. Because that would be a by rote thing that anyone could do in their head, right? That that's not why they hire actors or artistic people. They hire them to interpret something, right? I mean, 
this is a, like, like, you know, doing Shakespeare, these comic books, they're interpretations. And you go, well, this is my take on this character. And I probably won't be the last person to play uh, Ragman. I might've been the first, I don't know. I think so. Yeah, you were. Um, but someone's gonna, you know, it's like, uh, I've done Shakespeare and you're like, oh, so people have done this before me. They'll do it after me. I have to get it right for me, but there's no, I think that's what we're seeing now. You know, now we're onto the what iteration of Batman that we're like, oh, we're gonna see different versions and we're gonna, and, and, and I th- hopefully that'll mean we'll get a little less precious with the, it's gotta have this and it's gotta yeah. have that because, you know, um, it's gotta make sense in the, in the, in the medium that it's in. If that, and if, if any of that made sense. Oh no, it absolutely does. You, <laughs> you spoke, you spoke to the seriousness. I mean, in the show with Oliver Queen. <laughs> yeah. We can't have, we, we, we've reached our cap with the serious. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's the other thing is I, I think again, like, uh, I think that speaks to like, okay, well, you know, uh, brooding, brooding guy with uh, parental issues is kind of covered. Yeah. So I, I think that's why for me, it ended up being a thing where like, oh, we're going to get past that pretty quick. And then, you know, between Echo and, and Rick and Emily and Madison and myself, then it becomes a game of like, well, what, what colors aren't being painted with at any given time, right? You know, if these two are having a sort of rat-a-tat over here, I'm going to quiet down and have one comment very quiet that's going to bring the, t- like, you, it, 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 you know, I, I, I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan and, and Sorkin talks a lot about dialogue as music. And I think that's a very theatrical thing where like, you know, I also do a lot of improv, like, not everyone should be standing in the scene. If two people are standing, one should be, you know, you should be painting pictures and, and, and things should be, should have levels. And, and again, that's a little esoteric, but I, but I think that, that, that when you have a group, like a team arrow group, that's what you start to play with. And, and, and Steven gets first dibs at whatever he wants. Do you know what I mean? So like, if he's, you know, he's playing the sort of heavy, serious, moral center of the show we're all coloring things around that and that that becomes the job it's funny you mentioned sorkin newsroom is one of my favorite shows i'll watch that over and over over again and oh great i can't imagine them getting those scripts and just launching into the soliloquies they just go into but i mean it's it's a dream you know it's a real dream that stuff is uh that's that's it's it's an engine built for actors you know it's it's a it's a very cool thing you know uh speaking to a bit about the actual the adaptation from page to screen Mm -hmm. i think i think anybody can look at the comics and go you know he's relatively costume wise close but that other than that what are the similarities i would actually argue other than him not being a veteran in the show unless Mm -hmm. that was talked about and something i missed other than him being a veteran i think you guys actually got it pretty darn close because earlier you were talking about the differences between the early appearances the first stuff versus post-crisis stuff like here where it becomes a suit of souls yes you know you guys played you towed the line like because when when you get when you first show up you're talking about the souls of haven rock and stuff like that but you never say the souls are in my suit and they're calling for vengeance you never say how you survive the nuclear blast or when the nuclear blast happens later on and the suit absorbs it and suddenly the suit is without power 
in the comics, the explanation yeah. could be you use the power of the souls to negate yes. that. But well, that I, I, I think it was explained that the, the, the Haven Rock explosion, I, my parents draped me in the rags. They right. died and I survived. But yeah, I think that, you know, it's funny. I, I did a lot of sort of digging and asking. And I, I think what they did kind of brilliantly was they actually never got into the specifics of the suit. And, and again, that's something that you can, you can be very specific in a comic book with stuff like that. And on TV for a number of reasons, first of all, sitting around explaining the specifics of a suit are not that interesting. They just, you know, uh, they might be pleasing to check it off a list for somebody, but but it's not that it's not it's not good television, right? Um, and so I think they they stayed kind of a little vague about it on purpose because he was a, because he was a um, again he was a, a man of few words, and I think a, a myst- sort of a mysterious person. He showed up kind of mysteriously and also disappeared kind of mysteriously, you know? And I think that, that they very correctly went, well, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to get into the, he was always kind of on the peripheral. And I, and I think that was very intentional and I think it worked uh, thematically and dramatically. And so, uh, yeah, I think it, also in that way, again you're able to project onto that what you think right well what do you think how do you think the the suit works because it's not going to be a technical explanation it's going to be an emotional one it's you know it's is it powered by his connection to those souls is it powered by those souls as individuals as a collective like again you're you're getting into you know you're going to dissect the goose to get the song right like it's it's not going to be it's not going to be pleasing if you explain it away uh another thing i really wanted to to call out is the fact that ragman is important and and i grew up christian so i can't sit here and claim that it's important to me mm-hmm. uh but the representation of of uh, his judaism yeah and absolutely the, i was actually surprised that the cw decided to go that route uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's it can be murky waters or controversial to make someone's religion a big key part of someone on screen, and and yeah. s- sometimes, so and I really thought it was cool, especially with the interactions you had with Emily, because her mm-hmm. character is supposed to be of of that faith as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just, uh, I think. I have to bring it up is, you know, even though you didn't get into the explanation of the powers and kind of telegraphing all of that, mm-hmm. it was very, even from the very beginning, because you said from the time of Devarim. So mm-hmm. like just, that was a huge part of that character. And I, I just wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that aspect of who Rory is. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, uh, First of all, I'm also so not Jewish, um, mm. but um, but I think it's. Uh, I also felt it was very important, and I I I, I applaud the CW in, in and continue to in their um, their uh, their quest for for uh, a very diverse representation on that network, and I think they've they've always been a one of the leaders in that regard, whether it be. Um, whether it be uh, uh, sexuality or 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 race, religion, I think they've always, and and you know, a big part of that goes to to um, Greg Berlanti, who is a 
you know, a fierce uh, warrior of, of, of social justice and, and, and making sure that that stuff is represented certainly on his television shows. And he's proved that, that, that you know, to, that that's a, a sound business plan, you know, <laughs> to, to say the least. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, I, I've, I, I think um, Judaism is a, is an important thing to represent on a, on a show because one of the great things about the, the, the Jewish faith is that it deals in the here and now. Um, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, it really is about uh, finding heaven on earth, about, about dealing with things now as they happen. And I think that's something that sometimes gets lost about, about that faith. And it's a very important part of it that it's not it's not based on afterlife insurance. You know, it's not based on like, I'm going to do this because then later it'll be good. It's yeah. all about like, they, you know, the, the J- Jewish scholars will, will pour over the, the, the Torah to deal with like, wh- how do we, how do we, de- how do we interpret this now? Like, what is this? How does this mean now? And I think for any character, that's just a great place to come from to, to, to be, looking at what they can be doing in the present because again that's how that's how um that's how drama works it's not you know unless it's a greek tragedy it's not what happened before it's what's happening right now and so i I always loved that as a sort of jumping off point for him that, that that was always there it was it was you know even his relationship with emily which was um you know uh she had to make a decision in that moment and he was able to to forgive her for that because mm-hmm. you know yeah i i just i thought, always thought that was a, a sort of a cool place to come from for any character regardless of whether they're jewish or not but i think that's something that's mm-hmm. that i was i've always found very uh um interesting and admirable and cool about the jewish faith it was really it was really cool to see that represented especially when when you and her had that scene where you can kind of talk to each other about it she tells you that i looked up your father i know about your history like that yeah that would that was that didn't necessarily need to be done it could have been something really short and it's like all right i guess we're over it on to fight the the greater battle but you took the time to actually yeah well again i think that's i think that's a testament to the writers again like i think that that that's always the more interesting stuff for me to play you know mm-hmm. that's that's the more those those human moments are that's what those are the 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 pieces that make up the whole really because we've all seen action movies where a bunch of people fight and they spend millions of dollars and sometimes you're just like i don't care about anyone i don't mm-hmm. know anyone i don't and then the movies where it works or the TV shows where it works or when you, where you know people, you know, right. you can only make a TV show about people. You can't make it about a fight mm-hmm. or even a piece of IP. It has to be about people. And so if they don't matter or mean anything to each other, to themselves, like it just doesn't work. 100%. So we talked a little bit about the seriousness of the character and his, mm. his quietness and stuff, but I can tell just by talking to you, the kind of, the kind of character that you can be. So it sure. makes me really think, I mean, I'm not to say that there was, there wasn't these moments, but we should have got some more like of you just shooting glances at Felicity for one of her Felicity isms or. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I, I, there had to, the, the bloopers cover some stuff, but there had to have been moments where you guys just absolutely lost it at those little awkward pauses or. Oh, sure. I mean, you got to remember that those like, you know, those bunker scenes, those are, 
you know, they, they put those all in the same day. So you're going to, you're oftentimes you're taking like a day to do and, and you're just, you know, for me, especially like, you know, you're in like a four page scene and I have maybe one line, you're just going loopy. It's, you know, it's Thursday, you're shooting till four in the morning. It's like, you know, those, the, the, they're a, they're a lot of fun and they're also, they make you a little crazy. And so, um, but again, like, you know, the balancing act of trying to service people like Echo Kellum and, and Emily and, and all these very, very talented people. And we're coming in at the end, like, you know, like it, it's, they have a lot of talented people. They have to, it, and, and they can't give everyone everything. And so it, you know, it does become, I think that's one of the reasons I thought it was uh, important to be a quieter character because, and in fact, in a lot of scenes, in the bunker, I would find myself, which I never want to do, giving up dialogue because I was like, I, I think I can do this with a look. I think we know how he feels. He says one thing, we get how he feels. And then we don't like, he doesn't have to reiterate. He's not that kind of guy. And so this bit could be given to this person or or maybe we move the scene along faster, but it was, it, you know, it becomes it's like a it's like a formula one pit crew you're like you're trying to get the car to go as fast as you can and you might just be the guy who comes in and takes off the tire <laughs> you know you yeah. might not be the driver you, you know so again like i think that's a from a theater background like you have to know what the scene is about and who's driving and 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 what your role is at any given time and it's not always to be the center of attention it just isn't and that's that's sometimes that's the job yeah when to choose scenery when to not that's sort of yes thing. exactly and, and nobody wants to choose scenery more than i do as you can <laughs> tell but it's just not you know that's not why they pay you <laughs> it makes your lines that much more poignant like the the time when you said wait he beats you guys <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yeah well that's exactly right I, and i again i think that's like you're only responsible for your part of the scene and if mm. i go well my i think the most effective thing i can do is say nothing until i say that if I have lines before that, it waters it down, right? And so you go, well, my job in the scene is to bring some levity right at the end. That's my job in this scene, right? Now I have to play the moments of like reacting to all that stuff, but that's my job in this scene. And so if we water it down, it defeats the purpose. And so, you know, you, you have to kind of stay on top of that stuff. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know I said 30 minutes before. So oh, man. Uh, I did want to ask about the, the end of the character when the, towards yeah. the end there. Um, uh, I think some fans thought, and myself included, you know, you've got a lot of grounded characters here. And then all of a sudden, Ragman, if you really look at it, regardless of how you interpret his powers on screen, mm -hmm. he's the most powerful one in the room. <laughs> so, yes. so I think some people thought like, oh, we have to we have to figure out a way to get back to the nitty gritty of Arrow, the street, the street level. Yes. The side of things. Yeah. But I think they a lot of people assume that there's room for you moving forward. It could be on Legends. It could be on something else. Uh, Constantine keeps popping up. Why not you? Sure. You know? I mean, from your lips to God's ears, man. I, I, you know, I would love to do that. I, I, I know that they were, you know, fans of mine. I think that, again, I don't. You know, I, I'm not privy to why the character was sort of uh, ended when it when it was. I think they were they were setting some people up to be a major part of the show before I got like, you know, before I got brought in, I got brought in kind of last minute. Um, 
you know, Rick and Juliana were, were sort of being groomed to be a major part of team arrow as well. They should. And uh, again, like there's only so much real estate. And I think that on top of the, uh, the, the sort of, um, you know, the fantastical elements of him and, and how powerful that is in a show about a guy with a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's also uh, expensive. <laughs> you know, he's all CGI and that's not, that's not cheap. I mean, that's a little, that's a little bit of how the sausage is made, I suppose. But, but, you know, I think a lot of stuff goes into that and it's never, it's just the way it goes. I think, I think, initially the character was supposed to come and go in a handful of episodes and they, and they really liked me and they kept me around. And then, you know, and by the way, like over the last couple seasons, when I wasn't there, I would get calls a couple of times a year going like, we're, we're going to put you into this episode or this episode. And then, you know, for budgetary reasons, time characters, they're just like, ah, we can't make it work. And, and, uh, you know, I came back a couple times, very briefly once, and then I came back for the finale, which was a real thrill. And again, like, you know, I've been in show business a long time. And, you know, I got that job because I had auditioned for other things in the Arrowverse that I just wasn't right for. And, and Greg Berlanti became a really big fan of mine and gave me that job. I didn't audition for that job. They just, they, they gave it to me because they were like, we really want to work with him. And so it's funny that like, I've had that asked before where they're like, oh, the, you were written off the show. And I was like, I mean, I was on borrowed time from the beginning. Like I wasn't supposed to be around that long. And this is all a bonus. I mean, this, again, this is all this amazing opportunity that no one deserves. <laughs> not certainly not me. I mean, you know, it's just a, it's just an amazing thing to get to be a part of. And so um and you know they had storylines that they wanted to to deal with and 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 uh i think i had sort of served my purpose and that's the way episodic television goes especially a show that runs that long like you know my friend martin garrow who who has created a couple of shows that i've been on you know i i did this show blind spot with him and when i came on the show was in the first season he was like he was like, listen, I wrote this part for you. We're going we're gonna to make everyone fall in love with you. And then we're going to kill you. And he was like, because people have to leave. They have to die. Like, they, it, for things to matter. I mean, look at Game of Thrones. Like, people have to die in order for when they, people watch, they go, like, the Hurt Locker is a great example. You know, Guy Pierce dies in the first, spoiler alert, <laughs> Guy Pierce dies in the first, 20 minutes of that movie and you go wait a second they just killed the most famous person in this movie anything can happen and it helps make the show tense or the movie tense because there's stakes right mm-hmm. and so i think i think leaving and not coming back is actually is something that a show just has to do with some characters you know it's just it's how it's how um it's how dramatic stakes work hey it works <laughs> yeah so I think the last question I'll ask before I give you a chance to t- kind of talk up your other projects or whatever else mm. you have coming up. Um, what is in your mind? I mean, I, I, it sounds a lot like the answer could be just straight up Greg Berlanti, but what is in your mind, the secret sauce that makes the CW DC verse what it is? Because there's a lot of people who talk, I mean, 
this is a great day to talk about it given the Snyder mm-hmm. Cut came out today, but a lot of people right, talk yeah. about how the DC universe and film is so dark and broody and the DC yeah. should be lighter and you know, so on and so forth. The people who love that the CW verse over the film stuff, what's yeah. what's that secret sauce that just makes that you can have high stakes, you can yeah. have super serious moments, but then yeah. the levity also fits in just so seamlessly. Also, you can have very dark. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. Arrow was a very dark show. I mean, yeah. It's not, you know, uh, I, 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 I really do think it's Berlanti, and I, I and and uh, and to that point, you know, one of the things that I think Berlanti is the best at. I mean, he's an amazing writer, but he's an amazing producer, and what that means is like he finds the right people and surrounds himself with incredibly i mean sarah Schechter, wendy uh who was the showrunner when i was there uh, uh mark guggenheim you know all those guys that he that he uh populated that world with i, I mean it's it's it, they're all perfect um and uh that's short like you know it, it, like he he amassed an unbelievable team of people across you know now nine years i guess like from the beginning of arrow to nine ten years like it's crazy what he's done and you know and when i was there for instance like james bamford's a a perfect example of a guy who was running the the stunt department on arrow and is now one of the top directors across all of those shows he does all of them and you know there's a lot of promoting within there's a it's a it's a it's a great place to work i think that's you know i think that's one of the that's one of the keys to success is like you gotta like going to work (laughs) that you know it and and i think he has done a tremendous job of that i mean i you know in my handful of meaningful encounters with greg berlanti he's been you know uh he's been an unbelievable support and, and uh, gentleman to me when he doesn't need to be, you know, like, you know, I, he gave me, you know, they gave me this job. He didn't owe me this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, that's not like, it's very nice that he, you know, he made a, a, a point to want to work with me and that's, um, that's very flattering, but he doesn't owe me that, but that's how he works. And that's, that, you know, that trickles down. It just always does. You know, that's why, especially in this era where we're finding, you know, where, where we're finding out that like, oh, we can, like when people are awful to people at work, let's not have that. <laughs> like it's, it's a bummer, it's unnecessary. At the best of times, art is meaningful and important. And at the worst of times, it doesn't matter enough to be treated like that at work. It just doesn't, you know? And, and I think that the Berlanti verse or whatever you want to call it is a, is a, a big um, proponent of just being good to people. And I think that again, like I'm a big believer that like, if I'm having fun, even if it's a serious scene, if I'm having fun, that's infectious, right? That, that, that is, to me, I, when I watch movies, I'm looking for the person who's having the most fun. It doesn't mean they're joking around. I'm just going like, who's really enjoying the fuck out of what they're doing? Right. Because it's, it's, it's contagious, you know? Like, um, uh, it's just very contagious. And so, and I think that 
I think it's I think it's Berlanti. I really do. He's he's uh, I can't say enough about him. I I think you I think you did a good job of explaining it. I think you know this isn't brown nosing or anything. I think it's a lot about you, man. I think after come I think talking to you, I got to go back and rewatch season five and then your other appearances <laughs> afterwards because I as much as I enjoyed it, you can see you in the character now and you can like yeah. can start to think about all this stuff and you can just enjoy it that much more. Oh, and I, I like so. I like that you uh, that you're. I mean, quite frankly, I like that you felt you had a, a safe space to do your, the thing you love to do. Yeah. Cause I, nice. I'm, I'll be 34 in a couple of weeks and I'm, th- this is the, the career I'm in right now. This is the first employer I've ever felt. Okay. Saying straight up, I don't have to pretend I'm sick. Like I can take a mental health day right. and say I'm taking a mental health day, you know, yeah, and that's important. So I'm glad that you yeah, have that safe space. Oh, I'm glad that you have that, man. That's great. <laughs> Uh, the last thing I wanted to do is give you a chance. I know you have, you know, with, with, with your job and everything, there's NDAs, you know, all over the place, but whatever you can talk about either upcoming or stuff that you want to sure. get more eyes on from the past, what do you got out there that you want people to take a look at? I mean, obviously it's been a pretty slow year for a lot of us, which is, you know, uh, not, I haven't thought a lot about show business <laughs> this year, if I'm being honest. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of circling a couple things, uh, nothing that I can talk about, I guess. But um, I did a movie uh, last summer, God, what is time anymore, um, uh, called Two Deaths of Henry Baker, which ca- uh, premiered at the Austin Film Festival this year. And it's, uh, it's a movie I'm, I'm really proud of. It's a, uh, a close friend of mine wrote it about 10 years ago, and we've kind of been you know, trying to get it made for, for a long time and finally did. And it's, uh, I think it's really special. I'm really proud of it. It's uh, Gil Bellows and Tony Curran, who was just on Your Honor and uh, myself, Sebastian Piggott wrote it, Felipe Mucci directed it. And it's, uh, I, I'm not sure it's, it's going to find, it's, it's in the process of finding distribution right now. Okay. Um, so, so I was just about to ask, is it on Netflix, Hulu? Yeah, or... not, not, not yet, but hopefully very, very soon. So that, that's kind of the only thing that's about to come out that I have to kind of, you know, brag about, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah, two deaths of Henry Baker is a very, very cool kind of, um, uh, I call it sort of winter's bone meets uh, no country for old men. It's like a very sort of, modern western stylized it's very cool it's very very cool i'm, I'm, I'm really proud of it so check I'm, it out I'm, if and when it comes out you know yeah i'm excited to check it out 100 percent. and i assume awesome. when the world is relatively back to normal the occasional comic-con appearance for, from sure you? i'd be I, I i always like doing it. it's always it's always a thrill so yeah i uh i was i think i was about to i was supposed to do one right in like april of last year and then you know, obviously it's uh, everything, everything went to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. I was supposed to go to Emerald city comic-con in Seattle in March of last year. And then Seattle became the hotbed. And I was like, right. Yeah, (laughs) of course. Oh yeah. So yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to, I mean, it kind of feels like cramming people in a convention center is maybe like going to be the last tier of things we open up yeah um because people already come home with con crud right like yeah just double up on vitamin d and eat healthy and sanitize anyways so let's get people watching movies in movie theaters (laughs) and then we'll get them talking to the people who are in those movies and you know you you get it it's it's uh 
it's got to be a we got to do it we got to do it safely yeah the idea of taking hundreds of photos with strangers at comic-con doesn't sound that appealing in this world of germs and not yet not yet we'll get people vaccinated and and let me ask how is how is texas how are you guys doing there is it is it uh what's the weather are you is everything thawing out i uh yeah yeah we're doing okay it was it was it was interesting for a little while luckily i got over to my sister's place and they have a fireplace and oh nice things like that but it was pretty darn cold and i had no power no water luckily i have like multiple blankets and one of them is a weighted blanket so like i just was under it for a little while um but it was it's pretty rough out there and you know uh, you know it it was the entire time i was cold i was just thinking man i can't imagine people who are homeless right now and man i was just saying i was telling my girlfriends because she's from she's from here and uh i was like you know in in toronto there's a temperature where legally they just they just round everybody up. They're like, it's too cold for people to be outside. Like, and I was always very proud of that. I mean, obviously it would be nice if we did that before it got to that temperature, but like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy to think what people, what people go through. I appreciate, I appreciate Not you to end that. it on a real bummer, but uh, <laughs> no, you know. you're good. I, I can leave it in or I can edit it out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't edit me. Oh, uh, no, it's care. all right. Well, yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. I think the big thing now is the whole Texas is on its own energy grid thing and how to fix that. I mean, there's a whole politic game to play with all of that. Sure, anyways. I, yeah. don't, I don't know that we want to get into bashing either side of the political spectrum, but like, it's just, you know, it's, it's very clear that, you know, the, the people weren't always the first in mind when making the decisions that were made to get us to this point. So, yeah, but that's why we vote. So absolutely, man. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm, I'm actually becoming, uh, I'm going to take my citizenship test tomorrow. So I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward to being able to vote, you know, are you going to be dual citizenship? I I assume. Yeah. Okay. Nice, man. A hundred percent. Good luck. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll send you all the links. It'll take me a little yeah. bit to get it up because pr- the editing and everything, that's all fine. Yeah. But uh, the, the transcript, cr- transcribing the whole thing down to text will take me a little bit of time. But I yeah, sorry think there's an app that. I can use that'll <laughs> at least get me started and I can edit from there. Right, right. Cool. So. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. Thanks. Bye. Nice to meet you. Bye. And that was my conversation with Joe Denical. As you can tell by how that conversation ended, Joe and I were just having fun talking to each other the entire time. I mentioned it in our talk, but I've mostly lost my sense of awestruck wonder that typically can come with fandom. Now don't get me wrong, I still get nervous before an interview, but once we get going, I immediately feel like I do with everyone else I've ever interviewed. They're just a person doing a job, and that job just so happens to be publicly consumed as entertainment, whether it's comics or television or anything else we come across in this show. Oh, I'm sure there will be a name someday that triggers my nerves, but for now, I see it as a good thing. Especially when it comes to the people, like Joe himself, I speak to. Joe was down-to-earth, honest, realistic and took the time to wholly answer my questions, even allowing himself to elaborate more fully or veer off into tangents if he thought it was relevant. That level of comfort during an interview always makes an interview into a conversation. And the more and more relaxed two individuals in that situation feel with one another, the better the result. I cannot thank Joe enough for coming on the show and making it the easiest thing in the world. And 
and absolute joy on top of it. If you're able to, check out The Two Deaths of Henry Baker when it finally finds a home on a streaming service. Definitely follow Joe's Instagram, as I'm positive you'll hear about it there when its official home is finally announced. I actually look forward to watching it, Joe, and I apologize for the delay in this episode hitting the airwaves. So, what's next for Creative Credit? I couldn't tell you right now, but I'm doing what I can to make the time between episodes less and less. Look guys, content production is frankly a tricky game. Obviously a consistent posting schedule means your audience can rely on confidently knowing when and where to find you. But when you're wrangling interviews, do you accept every email from every publisher you get asking if they can promote their new work? Even if you have no idea who they are. I mean, perhaps, but quality has to come into play, doesn't it? Even so far as considering how your interest in the subject matter plays in an audio medium. Because trust me guys, if I wasn't interested, you'd hear it in my voice. And then that conversation I strive for is no longer a conversation, it's an official interview, in quotes. And the questions become checking things off a checklist and not really freely moving where the topics take you. It's something I just have to consider. Regardless of listener count, I want to be proud of every episode of this podcast, and thus far, I am. If you'd like to follow the show, you can follow us on Twitter at creativecredit underscore. You can also send an email to lanterncast at gmail.com and be sure to mention creative credit in the subject line. Until next time, remember, Marvel or DC, television or film, print or digital, we're all comic fans. And as Maya Angelou once said, my mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on Creative Credit do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Creative Credit is not affiliated with any comic industry publisher unless otherwise mentioned. Music for the show was produced by the Bad Mamma Jammas from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, found at Bad Mamma Jammas on Facebook.